Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. You know how they say there is no such thing as loyalty in pro sports. You know how they say that, right? Whoever they are, whoever they are, they're right. And you don't have to take it from me. Take it instead from Chris Paul. After this week, he would know better than anybody, at least if you believe what he's saying this week about his trade to the Wizards. The Bradley Beal swap allegedly, supposedly, makes a super team in Phoenix. Never mind that we were all led to believe that they already had their super team in Phoenix the day KD showed up. But that's neither here nor there, because right now there's more and more chatter about CP3 right now. Both about CP3's future and, eh, let's just call them, interesting things that are being said, said about the trade. So, Paul was already booked on Good Morning America yesterday as a total coincidence because he's got a book that's dropping. So, total coincidence, really fortuitous for Good Morning America, but very awkward for the nut puncher. Because we now know at least according to him, that he found out that he was dealt on his flight to New York for that appearance, which is exactly what he told them on GMA when he sat down to speak with them. I was surprised, too. (laughs) (laughs) I found out on the plane yesterday flying here for this. You know, in this league, anything can happen, so you just figure out what's next. Mm. You literally found out on the plane? (laughs) Absolutely. Wow. What you was your first reaction? Don't push him any further. He's trying to be nice about yeah, it. Yeah, he is, right? Yeah. What's happening? I like how Stray jumps in there to cover his fellow athlete. Hey, man, get off this guy. It's bad enough you found out on the plane. And the other's like, wait a minute, you found out on the plane? What'd that feel like? Is that really how that went down? Stray's like, hey, man, you got no idea how hard this guy's trying to put in his chill level right now. He sounds fine. He looks fine. He's not fine. Dude's freaking pissed. You know he is. Listen, CP3 might have held back on GMA, but he held back just a little bit less when he spoke to the New York Times. It was there that he said he did actually find out about the trade via a text from his son, which is pretty rough. And he was also pretty upfront about who he thinks influence the decision to trade him. Remember, the dude made it pretty clear that he did want to stay in Phoenix. He made it pretty clear to the team that he wanted to stay, even though there were reports that he would be dealt or he would be released. He said he wanted to stay. He liked it there. And the team made it very clear that, well, they didn't like him there as much as he liked it there. But who exactly was over CP3? Who wanted him out of there? Who was the guy that pushed him out? Here's what CP3 thinks happened. Here's what he told the Times. Quote, it's just, it's tough. Seriously, it is part of the business. And what you realize is that no one owes you anything. No matter how you are with them or what you do, you realize that in this business, nobody owes you anything as it should be. But when it comes through and my son texts me, And I realized that, you know, Matt and Isaiah, I guess, just wanted to go in a different direction. Wait, what? Matt and Isaiah. 
Did I read that correctly? Isaiah. Isaiah with only one A? You mean like Isaiah Thomas Isaiah? Are we talking about Zeke? That Isaiah? Is Isaiah the one calling the shots in Phoenix? Or in the very least, does he have the owner's ear? Don't the Suns have a former executive of the year in GM James Jones? Shouldn't that dude be the one making the important decisions? Like moving on from Hall of Fame point cards? Listen, I'm not exactly the biggest banana boat guy or the biggest CP3 guy. And I know this dude gets hurt every single year at the worst possible time. And I know he's aging out. And I know he punches guys in the nuts. And I know he rubs some people the wrong way. Maybe even most people. And apparently that includes some people in Phoenix, namely Zeke. But doesn't that guy deserve better than to find out that he got traded from a text from his kid on an airplane? Doesn't he deserve better than Isaiah Thomas making decisions about his future, allegedly? We are talking about dude, a dude who's number three all time in both assists and steals, i.e. way better than Isaiah in both categories. I'm not saying that Isaiah made the decision in a vacuum. I'm not saying he made the call. But you can't tell me that he didn't have something to do with it. Or moreover, I don't know that to be true, but CP3 thinks it's true. He said it. I guess Matt and Isaiah decided to move on. Why not just say, I guess Isaiah and Matt decided to move on. I'll ask once again, what happened to James Jones? Well, according to CP3, Jones seemingly gave him no impression before he left for New York that a trade was imminent or even on the table. I showed my phone to my wife because, I mean, I had talked to James Jones yesterday or whatnot. New York Times said, quote, And did James Jones give any indication that this was on the table? How surprised were you by that text from your son? Times writes, Paul paused, quote, I was surprised. New York Times, I can see it in your face that you're trying not to talk too much trash right now. Response, quote, no, because, I mean, like I say, it is what it is. But like I said, Matt and Isaiah must have wanted to go different. End of quote. Yo, my man, Chris, dude. It's smack-off season. Let it fly. Or if you want to make it a beef, make it a beef. This is your last chance to do so. Next week is our last beef segment before the beef offseason. If you've got something more to say, my dude, now is the time. It is the season. Let it fly. Smack-off season. Beef season. Because you know the guy's got so much more to say. And you know that there is way more behind the scenes than what we're being led on to believe. You know there's a lot more to the story of Isaiah apparently turning Matt against CP3, or at least being in his ear about CP3. Matt, by the way, was clearly lying through his teeth when he told the media back in February that Isaiah had no role on the team. The way I look at it is this. Isaiah Thomas is a great friend of mine, right? And I have a lot of great friends. Isaiah Thomas is, a, is someone that knows basketball inside and out. He's not someone that I have in a role or have an established role. I think that was reported that there's some role. There's no, there's no role for Isaiah at this time. Hey, Matt, 
You said that if, in fact, there was a time when Isaiah had a role, you would tell us, but you have nothing to tell us at this time. That was back in February. Let me ask you something. Do you have anything to tell us this morning? Because a future first ballot Hall of Famer and longtime former president of the Players Association just said that Isaiah was in on the decision to move him. You said you would be the first to tell us if Isaiah had a role, and you missed that window, but you might still want to let us know. Is there anything you want to tell us? Yes, it's your team. Yes, you're the billionaire. But you did tell us when you had something to tell us, you would tell us. We're all ears, especially Adam Silver. hey If you read all the things I've heard uh, that will happen, I mean, we'd, we'd have 72 people, you know, running the company with me here that I've never met. Like, so how about the way I always tell people is I will be direct. I will be transparent when I'm going to hire someone or bring someone on. You'll hear it from me first. Don't listen to the rumors because you'll hear it from me. You can just call me and ask me. I'll pick up the phone and say, nope, we're not doing that. Or, hey, we're thinking about this in the future. Here's what we're looking at. But there's nothing happening right now. Do Pete Carroll thinks you talk too fast. Maybe Isaiah has no role. Never mind that he sits courtside with you. Maybe he has no role. CP3 seems to think he has a role. CP3 thinks he not only has a role, but he had something to do with CP3 getting broken off. As far as Isaiah, you got to give it to this guy, man. I cannot get over how many lives this cat has. No matter what happens, this dude always seems to reemerge in some new power role somewhere, even though it never seems to work out for him anywhere, anytime, since his playing career ended. Sometimes it takes longer than other times for him to get back into a position of authority. And sometimes he gets introduced incorrectly. On behalf of President Medik, I'm glad to welcome you all and to welcome Isaiah Thompson as FIU's basketball coach. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. I mean, from FIU basketball coach to being in the owner's ear with the Suns, man. You can't kill this dude. My man always comes back. No offense, Chalk. This dude's the ultimate vampire. And and again, as I always say, if you're going to hire Isaiah Thomas as the FIU basketball coach, you're doing so for one reason, his name. So what are you doing butchering his name in the intro? Isaiah, Isaiah Thompson. Thompson, but President Medik and the rest of you, man, step your game On up. On behalf of President Medik, I'm glad to welcome you all and to welcome Isaiah Thompson. Step your game up. Actually, Medik wasn't the one who said it. That was on behalf of President Medik. But President Medik empowered the dude to make the introduction, and the introduction was an epic failure. Isaiah, Isaiah Thompson. Thompson? Come on, man. <laughs> Former White Sox slugger Frank Thompson. Can't believe that. Anyway, through it all, for Isaiah, there's always another opportunity. Somehow, some way, this dude always finds his way back. 
to a power position or a position of influence. This dude is the ultimate example of falling forward. And make no mistake, I believe that Chris Paul believes that Isaiah was involved. Maybe even heavily involved. Isaiah and the owner are tight. We know this. The owner says as much. Tight enough that the question about Zeke's influence and the role was brought up by the owner on his first day of owning the team. These two are tight enough that on the night that the owner squared off against the Joker in the Nuggets series and then flopped all over the ground, the dude sitting directly next to him courtside was, wait for it, Isaiah Thompson. Isaiah Thompson. So how much influence does Isaiah have? I don't really know. But you can't tell me he has none. And in the very least, he has as much access to the owner as he wants. And at the very most, he just traded Chris Paul. Either way, it seems to me there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and Zeke is back to his old tricks. And while the other nut puncher isn't the most popular guy, Outside the banana boat fraternity, he did deserve better than to find out on the plane from his kid that he had been dealt. He is a Hall of Famer. Anyway, especially after he says the actual GM led him to believe that there was nothing imminent. For right now, I really just have to know this. Did Matt and Isaiah celebrate their big trade by chopping it up and breaking bread at Red Lobster. Zeke, it's always great to have you on The Last Word. Thank you very much for joining us. What's up? My pleasure. I just got back from Red Lobster. Zeke, it's always great to have you on The Last Word. Thank you very much for joining us. What's up? My pleasure. I just convinced Matt to get rid of CP3. Zeke, it's always great to have you on The Last Word. Thank you very much for joining us. What's up? My pleasure. I just sent CP3 to Washington. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Zeke, it's always great to have you on The Last Word. Thank you very much for joining us. What's up? My pleasure. I should be team president shortly. How you like them apples, Michael? Zeke, it's always great to have you on The Last Word. Thank you very much for joining us. What's up? My pleasure. Hey, MJ, heard you quit the Hornets, scared coward. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what's your beef? By Wyndham Clark. Wyndham, my guy, you look awesome. It is great to meet you. Good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Really nice to have you on. So let me ask you, what an amazing week for you here in Southern California after spending your entire life dreaming and working towards reaching the pinnacle of golf. You did so. Has it even sunk in yet? Yeah, it's starting to sink in a little bit. I mean, being here in New York City this week, or sorry, today, uh, was on the Today Show, Good Morning America, Fox News, everything. Uh, that's where it's kind of like, oh my gosh, this is the real deal. Um, so yeah, it's 
it's honestly pretty surreal. I I don't even think it'll fully sink in until maybe a few weeks from now. So it's uh, it's been a whirlwind. You know, I was going to ask you, so you're in New York City and you're appearing on some of the biggest TV shows in the world. I've asked a question similar to this of like coaches when they win a national championship or world championship. I mean, do you for personally feel any different now that you won that major? In other words, does it feel like this changes absolutely everything? Or frankly, do you feel like the same dude? Uh, I feel like the same dude, just maybe uh, with a little, you know, with some added things, obviously, uh, people recognize me more. Um, you know, it, it's honestly, I'll go about the same that I, you know, same things I'll, I always do. So it's, it doesn't change much. Um, it's just, it's just, a, you know, a notch on the belt, if you will. Wyndham Clark joins us. I think it feels like maybe, how would I know, but it changes nothing and it changes everything. I mean, what a different deal. You know, much was made of the fact that you had only made the cut at two majors before the U.S. Open. Your previous best finish at a major was a tie for 75th at the PGA Championship a couple of years ago. So I'm curious, what was your mindset, especially on Sunday, and what enabled you to play such steady golf over the weekend on such an enormous stage? Um, you know, I just, I've been playing really good golf the last, um, kind of last five months and I had a lot of rounds and tournaments to fall back on. And, you know, the win, my first PJ tour win just four weeks ago was, was a big one for me. And, and I think that gave me the confidence in myself and belief that I can win against the best players in the world at any golf course at any time. And so, you know, going into that Sunday final round, I, I really leaned back on that experience and um you know it actually made me pretty calm and and at ease pretty much the whole the whole day really and um yeah and i feel like because i've worked so hard on my mental game those moments didn't uh, it didn't affect me as much as i think they would have in the past Wyndham Clark joining us. Speaking of your mental game, I'm glad you brought that up. You were also quick to credit Julie Elion for your play in L.A. and of late. For those who do not know, who is Julie and how has she helped you? So she's a sports psychologist. She works with, um, you know, roughly about six golfers out on the PGA Tour and then a handful of other athletes and top CEOs around the country. And, um, you know, she she's helped me so much in – you know, really attacking that part, um, attacking that part of my game. I've always kind of neglected it a little bit, and I think that's what was holding me back. And she's gotten me to where I'm, I'm meditating, I'm reading books, I'm constantly working on having mental goals and trying to be my best self. And when I do that, then I can play the best on the golf course. And, um, you know, she's also helped me off the golf course. My life has gotten way simpler and more, um, you know, everything's kind of at a, at a good spot. And so she, she's really been a, one of the big, huge differences in, in my play as of lately. Dude, I could talk to you about that for an hour. I love that. I love that topic. I love everything about that topic. Really quickly, as a quick follow-up, when you say she's got you reading books, who do you read? What's really resonated with you of lately that you've picked up and read? Um, the two ones that kind of stand out the most, um, when I won uh, Wells Fargo, I was reading the Energy Bus, which is all about positive self-talk. John and Gordon. That one was great. It's um, John Gordon. Yep. And then I just recently finished in the last few days, um, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, which is an amazing book as well. And that's, you know, that's a great one of how to really attack the 
your thoughts and how you view yourself and how to basically simplify your life and how we neglect our mental game and how, or sorry, not mental game, but like just anything about our mind and how it's a muscle and you can train it and you can, you can work your way out of anxiety and your thoughts are so powerful. And so that, that book was um, also very good. Preach. Not only is the mind a muscle, I would argue it's the most important muscle for anybody, athlete or otherwise. Wyndham Clark is joining us. You know, Wyndham, I've, I've shared this story on the show many times over the years. We lost my father to leukemia in the early 90s, so I've got a pretty good idea of what you and your family went through when you lost your mother to breast cancer a decade ago. I would ask you how hard it was not to share this moment with her, or maybe was she there with you the entire weekend? Yeah, I mean, um, it's. I wish she was here. Yes, it would be so much fun to have been embracing her and, and hugging her after after winning and celebrating because she's you know she was always there for me. Um, but I do also feel like she was there with me. So you know she's with me in spirit and. The whole week, I kind of felt her presence. So it, even though she wasn't there physically, I felt like she was there with me in spirit. Can I ask you really quickly, what was she like, your mom, Lisa? She, uh, so she was a Mary Kay national sales director. And so anyone that knows any Mary Kay women, they're like the most positive in your face, like just motivators. And they're so, they're, they're amazing women. And that was, that's exactly what my mom was. She was my biggest supporter. She was so loving and caring and she worked hard. She, you know, she taught me, you know, she made me who I am today. So she, um, she's also a cheerleader. So she's very vocal and very in your face about cheering you on. So she would have been one of the louder, loudest people out there supporting me. Love it. So your family was there. Wyndham Clark is joining us. Your sister, Caitlin, went viral for her emotional reaction when a mic picked up her saying, quote, that's so much money. And, and by the way, she's not wrong, my guy. That is so much money. What is your reaction to everybody else's reaction to Caitlin's reaction? <laughs> um, it is. I mean, it's it's crazy that's too bad. Yeah. Like that's I mean, it, it hasn't sunk. It, it, yeah, go ahead, Wyndham. I lost you for one minute, so I, I know that was kind of a crazy question. But if I could just rephrase that one more time, your reaction to everybody else's reaction to your sister's reaction. A lot of money, and I, you know, fortunately have taken advantage of two designated, you know, twenty million dollar purses, which is amazing. Um, but it's one of those things because you can't really see it. You don't really, you know, you don't really feel it and understand how much it is and um, it's, it's obviously life-changing this it's, I, it's, that's some of the stuff that I haven't really thought about and it hasn't sunk in and it's, I mean, that's some serious money. So it's, uh, I'm very fortunate. Right. So before I let you go, I thought that Ricky Fowler was all class in the end of this because you know how badly he wanted it. You know how badly he wanted it. He's played so well of late and played well throughout until Sunday. I thought that it was all class in the way he waited for you to have your moment, and then he finally came over and he shared a moment with you. Of course, you guys were already friends. Can you share maybe in part what he said to you? Yeah, I mean, I have the most uh, utmost respect for Ricky. He is um, honestly one of the best guys out on the PGA Tour. He's the real deal. Um, I've always thought of him as um, you know a friend, and I've always looked up to him. And for him to wait afterwards and give me the moment, the moment that I had with my family and and then even in scoring afterwards he said some nice things he he just was like hey you deserve this you've worked hard for it I'm proud of you and um 
you know, like you said, he's a class act. He's 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 the real deal. That's a good dude right there. So one final thought. You have not missed a cut since October. As you point out, you've played really, really well the last five or six months. So this is obviously going to put you in line for a spot on the Ryder Cup team should that happen, and it looks like it probably will happen. What would that opportunity represent to you? <laughs> That's just another uh, bucket list dream come true thing. I mean, to be honest, in January, we were kind of going through my goals and that it really wasn't even in my goals. I mean, it's something you think about, but it was, it seemed so far away and almost unattainable. And then when I won Wells Fargo, it was like, Hey, you have a chance. And, and that started becoming a, a reality. And then obviously winning this, if I get picked to be on the team, it would be so awesome. I mean, I, I love my country and I love competitive golf. I love, um, you know, I played in college. I love the team aspect and I think it's going to be, I mean, if I make it, it'll be honestly one of the coolest things. So I'm hoping, uh, hoping Zach picks me or I, or I earn one of those spots. Well, Wyndham, now everybody knows your story. It's an amazing story. Congratulations. Next stop, the Travel Championship in Connecticut. Really nice to have you on the show. I know there's a lot of requests of your time right now. So thanks for working this one in. Really great to meet you and great to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Yesterday, it was the five-time champ, Shawnee the Cowboy Asian. There are very few people who have a resume that can even remotely compete with Shawnee. However, this guy, my guy, Iafrady, is one of them. Spoiler alert, Today's profile is Iafrady. In fact, there is an argument to be made that Iafrady is actually the strongest and most consistent caller in the history of the event. He goes all the way back to the beginning, virtually. He hit the podium with a third-place finish at Smackoff 2, number two, back in 1996. And this dude has not stopped dominating since. Check out the back of his baseball card. 19 Smackoffs. 17 top fives. I mean, he's not even trying. 19 smackoffs, 17 top fives, 11 podiums, a five time runner up, two time king of smack. And in the last few years, he has also become the biggest wild card in the field because I'm never totally sure when or if he's going to call on the big day. And it's not because he's flaky about it. It's just he's got this crazy, crazy schedule and a crazy job that has him going here, there, and everywhere. So when he does call in, it changes the entire event every single time. Because any smack-off that Iafrady is in is a smack-off Iafrady can win. We just never know when he's going to be in. He never knows when he's going to be in because his, his schedule changes that dramatically week to week, day to day. But case in point, last year, he blows in here out of nowhere on the big day when we really don't expect it, and he rips second place. It's not the field that's gotten deeper, Jimmy. Only the purse 
has gotten deeper thanks to Romy Bin Salman rolling out the Live Smack Off Tour, populated by a bunch of losers happy to take your blood money because they ain't got game and they know it. So here's to Lef and Brad and Caleb and Benny and Vic and Rick. You guys all have as much chance of beating me today as Mercenary Mickelson has of lifting the Claret Jug. And let me be clear, Jim, when you send me that five grand, it's going straight to the families in Uvalde, Texas. They need your money. I don't. I may be old, suckers, but I won my titles on the real Smack Off Tour, and I'll tell you what I don't need in order to win this year's Smack Off. I don't need to be reimbursed for my expenses. I don't need my dog's assistance. I don't need no soundtrack. Here I am, oh naturel, kicking your ass because I am just better at this than you. Yep, I'm the age of all y'all's dads, but could your dad win the smack off like I just did? <laughs> He's not wrong about any of that, except for he was going to beat all of them except Caleb. Again, I'm not sure if Iafredi is able to make that call this year. I just know that if he does, it's an enormous problem for the rest of the field. Iafredi has not called back. Well, not called in back-to-back smack-offs in over a decade. But here's the thing about Iafredi. He's suddenly much more active in the jungle since the smack-off call last year. Like the time he could not wait to get up in here and spike the ball and drop an all-time I told you so on the hood man of all people. You asked Jim, how did that happen to a Belichick coach team? It happened because it is a Belichick coach team. Already, Don Shula and George Hallis have better career winning percentages, Jim, and they didn't have prime Tom Brady for 18 years. Soon, Andy Reid will catch Hoodie's winning percentage, and he's only had Baby Goat for five years. Hell, Tony freaking Dungy has a better career winning percentage, and he only had Peyton Manning for half of his 13-year coaching career. Jim, if the scoreboard still rules all on this program, let us all together declare the hood, not the goat. I want to hear it, Romy. Is Jacoby Myers' coach the goat? But... That was not all he had to say this past year. He also called back in January to perform an utterly unbelievable sequel to Whitey's dad. We've all been watching that monster in KC perform like no athlete ever had. And always behind him for the world to see a beaming Mr. Burrow, smiling Patrick's dad. How proud he must have been to be Patrick's dad each time he got maimed by Chris Jones. How great! It must have felt to be Patrick's dad, watching his son be better year after year. Good night, Burrowhead! Big Chiefs fan. By the way, playing his own piano. 
composing his own music, writing his own lyrics, inserting his own smack. Nobody liked this guy. He is an unbelievable caller. He makes the show so much better every single time he calls. And for some reason, that can be a controversial take for some of you, but it shouldn't be. It's like calling water wet. It couldn't be more obvious. This dude is brilliant, talented as hell. I've always said he might be the most talented person I know. He's certainly on the short list of most intelligent people I know. And he's dangerous. And he can win it on any given day. We just never know whether or not he can make the call. He always wants to make the call. It's not like, yeah, I'm not feeling it. If he can do it, he will. And he's one of those rare guys. He's not going to work up to it for four or five or six weeks for preparation. I know this guy's scheduled to a certain extent. He's that kind of guy that if he's got a couple of hours to think about it or an hour or maybe not think about it at all and just lob the telephone call, he's got it in him to do that and be a factor and maybe even win. Now, that said... I will also acknowledge he has not actually won since 2008. But that day, he did it by destroying another legend, Doc Mike Detola. Let's talk for a moment about Doc Mike Detola. I mean, I got to ask, where have you been hiding, Michael? You know, overbooked with root canals, man? Because we've been here. We've been here taking on Eldrick every year while you've been off waving the white flag, you yellow-bellied coward. But let there be no doubt, okay? Tiger may be gone, chump, but you still got to deal with me. And your stale reset of beating up the weak, like poor defenseless Vic, is very, 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 very... Very tired, okay? The clones who don't go back a ways may find you fresh, but the XL4TI has judged that call before, Mike, about ten times before. Okay, Doctor, you have become the official jungle mad lib. I am richer than name of clone. I don't have a radio show because noun. I was on the jungle CD, that adjective. I afraid he was also on. Okay, Doc, if you're only going to call in presidential election years, perhaps you could offer up a new candidate once in a while because we already voted the old guy out. That was Iofredi's last strap. And if he never called in ever again, after that day, he would still be a jungle icon. But he does keep coming back into the fold, mostly just to protect the smack off from, to use his words, a bunch of posers. A bunch of posers have moved into our town and turned our smack-off into a third-rate comedy show about each other. Now, don't get me wrong, Jim. Clone-on-clone smack was always a part of the calculus. It just wasn't the entire calculus. I mean, truly, what makes you losers think that any of us want to listen to you tell imaginative urine jokes about each other for three hours? I am back, Jim, because somebody has to speak up for your program's honor. Somebody has to defend the smack-off from becoming the crack-off or the (laughs) jack-off or the whack-off. You posers all better hope that he does not call next Friday because if he does, the exact same thing is always going to happen or that always does happen is going to happen yet again. My dude, if he calls... If he calls a week from Friday, my dude will once again dominate. Jim, I have been biting my tongue 
for four years now. But yesterday, I chewed straight through that sucker. So here goes. I want to talk sports with you. Jay Moore. I mean, I'm embarrassed to keep company with these people, but Jay is a movie star, and he stoops to compete with us, and he loses annually and comes back. I mean, hey, Shan, man, have a little freaking pride, will you? But have we fallen so far that we now crown the guy who reads best? Does anybody think there was even a millisecond of spontaneity in the Cabo Nation's call today? Barbecue pigs are flying, Jim, because now the Kansas City Chiefs are super. Dodger manager Marty Schottenheimer has got to go. Please direct my attention, Jim, to the big postseason win where crafty Marty outsmarted the other manager and got the Dodgers a win the other team deserved. You can't because he never has, and he won't because he can't. Jimmy, I gotta welcome you back to the TV airwaves. The only thing better than that taste of vomit in my mouth when listening to Vic and NoCal is watching you fight back the vomit in your mouth while listening to Vic. I first called this show 20 full years ago. 20 full years of addiction to sport and addiction to the jungle. 20 years of everything from the roach to the rope, from Terrence to Trapper, from Esquire to the DDS, from yesterday's legends to today's clowns. I rate Freddy, it said. They need you. Go! Save Jim Rome from professional ruin. Bring back the smack. A very good night now. My man, the myth, the icon, the legend, Iafredi, a two-time champ, a five-time runner-up, an every-time problem for everybody else since the very first event that he called into 27 years ago. Iafredi, don't know if he's calling. He's been invited. He's always invited. And he always says, Jimmy. If I can do it, you know I will. I would love to. And generally because he wants to save me from professional ruin, which I appreciate. All kidding aside, he he honestly is one of the most talented, intelligent people I know. And <laughs> there is so much more to Iafredi than you could ever imagine. But man, he can run it with the best of them. And he's not young. Love him. All right, so you may or may not know this, but... It's smack-off season. How could you not know that? I've hit you over the head with a two-by-four every single day about smack-off season. But it's a good thing, too, because some amazing things have happened this smack-off season, but perhaps nothing more amazing than this. There was an amazing moment. Let me reset this very quickly. You probably know about this, but maybe you don't if you haven't been listening of late. But there are a lot of prominent clones, old-school clones, OGs, but maybe the most prominent clone is a general manager of an NFL franchise, the Texans, Nick Casario. Alvin, if you can pull, pull this up really quickly, there's an amazing relationship between a clone who had the first dynasty in the smack-off, Shawnee the Cabo Nation. Then you have Nick Casario, extremely well-respected executive in the NFL, and they know each other, and they work in the same market. Nick initially had not made the connection that Sean Pendergast was the Cabo Nation, and then did. So recently, they had a sit-down interview, and Sean's doing his job, and Nick's doing his job, and then Sean's getting in the interview, and Nick's like, hold up now. 
Are we not going to talk about the smack off? This is an amazing moment that happened on Shawnee's show. Nick Casario, Texans GM, in studio with us. Okay, uh, one other thing. What position? We're not going to talk about the smack off. What, two weeks from today. Jeff and Richmond, uh, d- RSVP. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so you're keeping track. Incredible. Like, incredible. Like, Nick's smart. Nick knows that Shawnee's not going to go there. He's going to wrap up the interview by asking one more thing about OTAs. And Nick's like, wait, wait, wait. We're not going to talk about the smack off? And then he interrupted the host and then interrupted him to let him know, you know, Jeff RSVP'd. So that was an amazing moment. An amazing moment. Another So I bestowed upon him a golden ticket. I said, I know Nick a little. I'm not sure whether or not he'll take advantage of it, but he has it. And not just for this year, but for all of time. So that to me was an amazing moment during this smack off season to which we have now another amazing moment. On a cold call, a blind call, the same Nick Casario found his way to chalk and said, I just want to jump in here real quick if it's okay with you guys. And because he is an extremely prominent clone, it's more than okay with us guys. Nick Casario joins us right now, the GM of the Texans. Nick, my brother, what's going on, Nick? Jim, thanks for the uh, thanks for the, the shout out. Uh, I felt like I had an obligation to uh, call in and first of all say thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the golden ticket. I should give you know we have a lot of clones out with the Raiders as well, so we text back and forth fairly uh, frequently. So um, it got back to me that you know that Jeff had made the call. So then I was listening to the show. I kind of followed up a little bit later in the day. Heard Jeff's call. So all you stuck nutters out there, just for the record. Um, I haven't picked Jeff and Richmond, so um, just to kind of clear that up. Um, and to quote another immortal, legendary smack-off caller, Jim, you know, I don't really have a lot of smack today, but, you know, again, I just appreciate the invitation, and I felt like I just had an obligation to reach out to you just given the relationship that we've had through the years. <laughs> holy, holy crap, Nick. I think that – I think you just won the smack-off, my man. Where should I send the five grand to? That, that is so great that you had to set the stuck nutters straight – and also reference Jim Harbaugh. I love everything about that, Nick. That's all so good. That's really awesome. So, like, in that interview with Shawnee, I, I love that you felt the need to, hey, wait a minute now, are we not going to talk about this? Like, how could he have you in studio and not talk about it, right? What was going through your mind in that moment? Yeah, I know this is probably subject to significant debate, but it would be hard-pressed to find a better call than Sean. I, I've listened to – I'm not all the smack ups, but a fair amount of them. And every time Sean calls, I mean, or you can make an argument that every call he makes is a winning call. So, um, you know, I know Brad is probably going to respond here very soon, but nonetheless, um, just thought we'd have a little fun with Sean. I have a lot of respect for Sean. Um, actually what he's done, the relationship that we have with the radio station 610 in Houston. Um, you know, both he and Seth, you know, we've worked together for, you know, the past two to three years. Things haven't gone great just from a football perspective, but. They've been great to work with, and, you know, anytime we have the opportunity to visit with them. So, um, you know, Sean and I, the relationship that we've developed here, um, I just thought we'd have a little bit of fun with it. And I'm sure he has his call ready to go, so um, it, it won't take him long to get ready for uh, for June 30th. Oh, no, dude, he's built for it. He's built for it. You can't teach what he can do, and I know he'll be ready. Nick Casario joining us. He just called on his own. And, Nick, so obviously the, the golden ticket is good for whenever you want to use it, if, in fact, you ever want to use it. Let me really quickly ask you. You said things have not been awesome football-wise the last couple of years, but they're looking up now. Things are looking up. Let me get your thoughts on C.J. Stroud. He's getting a lot of really good uh, reaction, energy, what's it been like having him around? 
Yeah, you know, we're we're hopeful that we're heading in the right direction. Um, you know, I think D'Amico uh, done a great job here over the last four months, just kind of establishing a little bit of a foundation, put the coaching staff in place. And, you know, when we got to the draft process, we just tried to take advantage of our opportunities here. Um, we had accumulated some draft capital here through the years, just with the, with the Deshaun trade. Um, so we were in a position where you know, we felt like there was an opportunity that made sense. Um, you know, CJ was a player that we spent a lot of time with throughout the course of the spring. Um, he's come in, both he and Will, and, and honestly, the, the entire rookie class, they've worked really, really hard. I think, you know, CJ's made a lot of progress from the start of kind of the spring until now. So I think training camp will really be a good litmus test for everybody, a good opportunity for our team. Um, signed a number of, you know, veteran players in free agency, have some, you know, what we think are decent young players as well. So, you know, hopefully that combination uh, puts us in a position where we can capitalize on some things that are in front of us. But, um, you know, we're certainly making progress, cautiously optimistic uh, about the start of training camp. You know, nothing's certainly guaranteed, but, um, you know, we think we're, we're in a decent position and, and hopefully we can, you know, continue to move the franchise uh, forward in a positive direction. And Nick, on the outside looking in, it seems like the energy is really, really good. And I like what D'Amico brings to it as well. You know, Nick, I say it every single day on the program to all the clones. Can you make it better, make it better, do better? Nick, you certainly have made smack off season much, much better. I really appreciate you. Appreciate the loyalty. Appreciate the friendship. You had that golden ticket. Do what you want with it. But I appreciate you having the shows back and especially during smack Mac off season, Nick, and I appreciate the phone call today. Thanks so much. Always, Jim. Really appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. You too, dude. You're the best. Nick Casario, general manager of the Texans, if you need him. And I love everything about that call. I love the way he also kind of rose up a little bit like, hey, stuck nutters, to set the record straight, I did not pick Jeff and Richmond to win. All I said was he RSVP'd. And he said... To quote another prominent clone, I may not call that day because I don't have a whole lot of smack to run. Talking about Jim Harbaugh back in the day. Again, this is not back in the day. This is an active NFL general manager. And we didn't reach out to Nick, which is what I love about that. Because if we did, you know he would have done it. But I didn't want to get greedy or look a gift horse in the mouth. He'd already done enough for us. But Nick just, you heard him. He said, I felt obligated because you guys gave me a golden ticket. I wanted to acknowledge it. And he just called up a cold call and said, hey, hey, Tom, it's Nick Casario. So good. Didn't he also reference that there are other clones with the Raiders? Well, Josh McDaniels, for one. We know this. They go back to when they were with the Patriots on the come up, and they were just grinding, grinding, putting in hours at the facility late at night. They were younger guys, and they would listen to the show. I wonder if Dave Ziegler is a clone. That'd be cool. That's never worked its way back to me. I know Josh. Josh and I go way back. Nick and I go way back because they go back with the show. How awesome is that? And I've had other, I think it was Jeff Passner said, when Jeff Passan came on the smack off, he said that other MLB GMs were like, dude, we're closet clones. We would never say so, but we heard you on the smack off. So I know that there are professional sports executives that know. There was one, and this is classic, there was one NFL head coach that DM me during the famous hour number one last year, an active NFL head coach. And he hit me with, yo, 
is this thing going to get going or what? Like he was killing our number one like everybody else. An active NFL head coach. Killing our one. It's awesome. And Nick, appreciate you. You know what? Give him another golden ticket. Now you got two, Nick. I've got a golden ticket. You got enough golden tickets to last you a lifetime, Nick. On CBS, we are joined by Ice Cube. Cube, my man, what's going on? What's cracking, Cube? How you doing? What's up, gentlemen? How you feeling? Good, dude. Good. How about you? <laughs> my man, you look better, too. All right, so let me ask you this. You, after having to operate Cube in a bubble for the last couple of years, a bubble model, so to speak, how hyped are you to return to arenas and fully connect with your fans starting this weekend in Chicago? Oh, my God, man, we back. You know, that's how I feel. Like, you know, when we started the league, you know, the business model was to go from city to city in a different uh, city every week and and introducing the sport to new fans live. And so for us to be kind of in a bubble, you know, after the COVID year, um, it, it was hard to just be in one city and try to pull this off. So... We're glad to be back going around the country. We start off in, in Chicago on Sunday, uh, 1 o'clock Eastern, right here on CBS. And so, you know, we back in business, baby. Back at it. You are. And not only that, Q, but you've got an all-timer in Gilbert Arenas who's coming back as a coach for another season. What does Gil bring to the brand? And then who are some of the other marquee names that we'll see as players and coaches this year? Well, Gil, you know, he's a... He's a character, you know, and, and you look, the fans love him. You know, he's one of those guys, you know, certain guys that people are going to stay interested in no matter if they plan or they're not, you know. So Gil's just one of those guys. Uh, Steven Jackson is one of those guys. Um, Gary Payton is one of those guys. Guys who are just interesting, you know, on and off the court. Uh, so we have some of the best personalities out there not including Dr. J and Iceman and Lisa Leslie as our coaches, but our players, you know, Joe Johnson, uh, Michael Beasley, Leonardo Barbosa, Mario Chalmers, Nick Young, uh, Rashard Lewis, uh, Jason Richardson. You know, so we got guys that can still do it, guys people still want to see play, uh, and guys that's playing at a high level, um, you know, especially in this format. You know, Cube, it seems to me you've got some guys with a lot of it. You've got some guys with a lot of personality. You've got some players who still have a lot of game left, as you point out. You know, you once described the big three and the NBA as, quote, cousins, but you've also been pretty candid in saying that the league, the NBA, could be more supportive of what you're doing than they are. Let me ask you something. Are the NBA owners just not interested, or maybe on some level do they feel threatened by your business and brand, and do they see you as competition? Well, the NBA owners love us. If you go and talk to individual owners, you know, from Mark Cuban, um, you know, they, they love the league. Um, it's, I think it's the, the, the front office who feels a little threatened about the big three. Um, but we're here to be complimentary to the NBA if that's what they want to be. You know, if they want to be competition, then we'll continue to do what we're doing. Uh, but we would like to have a relationship where we can 
communicate. Uh, we can work together in some way, shape or form. Um, but we're here to stay, you know, whether they work with us or not, we're going to be here. Um, and, you know, we, we'd like to to be friends. You know, we love the NBA. We're, we're fans of uh, the, the, the players and the people that's part of the NBA. So we, we'd like to be, uh, you know, part of the family. Cube, you are here to say this is not only season number six, but you're taking another big swing by extending the league's global reach. The championship game is going to be played August 26th at the O2 Arena in London. We know that hoops is an international sport. What kind of reception are you expecting from fans in the UK? None but love. You know, um, since we started the league in 2017, we've been shown in over over 40 uh, countries around the world. So we have fans all over the world. And what's great about the league is we can be anywhere. Um, we can play a sanctioned game anywhere in the world. So to be able to take our championship and our all-star game uh, across the pond uh, to show them, you know, the best of the big three is, is just what the doctor ordered is part of our vision. Um, you never know, one day you might see a team come out of London. So, uh, you know, we know basketball is international, you know, like boxing and soccer and, and MMA. And so we want to take advantage of that. I said, Cube, you, to me, it seems like you're still going hard, really hard. And I've got a few years on you, but I'm really big on reinvention, mindset, figuring out how my next 25 years can be my best 25 years. It's not easy to do. At this point in your life, What's your why? What's driving you to continue to go as hard as you do? Well, I love the people, you know, and I love to create. And, you know, that's the essence of it, you know, loving to create. Um, you know, to me, sometimes, you know, people ask me, you know, when was the last time you seen this movie or that movie that I've done? And usually after I create them, I'm on, I'm on to the next. So, you know, I usually don't watch them too much after I create them because creating them is really the why and, and why I do this. And to have something else cool for people to get into, like the big three, um, there's going to be plenty for me to do, plenty for me to create when it comes to this league. And, you know, I, I'm in hog heaven, so to speak, right here. I get it. Keep, let me ask you something. You're on the outside looking in as it relates to this next question. It's not your situation, but with the draft coming up, and there's a lot of speculation this week swirling around Zion Williamson, if somebody close to him put you in a room with him, what would you tell him? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know the kid, but I would tell him to uh, make sure he refocuses on on the game he loves and if he refocuses the, on the game he loves um things will probably fall in place i think uh you know he's been he's been plagued by a lot of distractions from injuries to other things and so you know getting back to the game and and, and simplifying things and actually staying healthy and staying on the court to me is what I would tell him to, to focus on. Not worry about, you know, the past, not worry about, you know, things that's being said right now, but just refocusing on the game you love 
and things will start falling back in order. Right. You take care of the business. The business will take care of you. Cube, joining me for a few more moments. Obviously, Cube, you're a big Raider fan. You and I talk about the Raiders all the time whenever you come on. How concerned are you? Let me back up. What do you make of the Raider experience in Vegas so far? And then secondarily, how concerned are you about the coming season, given we don't know about Jimmy G's status physically? Yeah, I mean, the Raiders, I think, uh, you know, they have an amazing new arena over there. Um, You know, it's been off to a rocky start. You know, the John Gruden situation they thought was stability, and it turned out to not be. And um, they're still trying to get traction, still trying to get – get their feet up under them out there in Vegas. Uh, you know, we're looking like Patriots West a little bit, but, you know, for the most part, you know, um, you know, we, 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 we looking and we're seeing, we're observing. It's not much you can say till they get on the field and, and do it. So we want to give them a chance to, to see what they put together. You know, I, I really don't know from this vantage point, but of course I'm going to be there cheering. So, Cube, one last thought. Back in October, Big Three was certified by Black and the U.S. Black Chambers as the first Black-owned sports league in the nation. What did that achievement represent to you? Um, You know, it was a cool milestone. Um, I think it's great. I think, um, you know, being being registered as the first uh, Black-owned league in the United States, you know, to me, it's like a trophy. You put it on the shelf and you keep working. Um, you know, it, it, it's really, um, you know, in sports, it's not about color. So it, it's not really about that. It's really just about putting on a great product for everybody to enjoy. Um, doesn't matter what color I am. You know, what matters is that people enjoy the big three they're getting their money's worth and they're not wasting their time watching. And so, you know, that's what I'm focused on. You know, I'm focused on, you know, putting on the best league uh, in the country, um, regardless of the color of the people who run it. Great product. The sixth season of the Big Three tips off this Sunday at the United Center in Chicago. Coverage gets underway at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Ice Cube, my guest. Cube, appreciate you. Great to have you back. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend, Cube. Always good to talk to you, Jim. Much love, much respect. Andrew in Phoenix. Andrew, what's up? How are you? Hey, good morning, Jim. Hey, man, I've always been a big fan of Isaiah Thomas. He's my favorite basketball player. I got his autograph in the fifth grade when he was drafted by the Pistons. I watched all their championships every single game. I just don't understand how... Uh, now I'm here in Phoenix and a big Suns fan, and I just don't know what Isaiah Thomas has ever done to get to where he can be making decisions like this. Uh, thanks, Jim. War 420, War Drizzle and the Hack Off, War Rick and Buffalo, and Jeff and Richmond smacking each other in the face, and War Seven More Days of Premium Awesome Radio. Thank you. B. I see Brad in Corona. Brad, what's going on? Jimbo Slice, how are you, my friend? Good, dude. How are you? 
I'm good, man. Hey, before I, uh, I get to Casario, I just wanted to thank you for profiling that massive hypocrite, Iafredi. What a great profile. Jim, did I hear that right? Iafredi promised last year that if he won the smack off, he would donate the money to the Uvalde school shooting victims. Talk about bad luck for the Uvalde school shooting victims. Just when you think it can't get any worse, the only chance you have of winning $5,000 is no chance at all because Iafredi sucks. Hey, Iafredi, how about you donate your own money to the Uvalde school shooting victims, you self-righteous asshat? What's this year's tragic empty promise? If you win, are you going to swim down and rescue those people trapped in that submarine next to the Titanic? Iafredi, you are an absolute piece of crap, and I mean this with the utmost respect. I hate you. By the way, side note, Jim, I think Sal was actually Jeff in Southfield doing a very bad New York impression. Jim, Mark in Hollywood is so short. When he stands next to Hezbollah, he looks like a smaller version of Hezbollah. <laughs> Anyways, the real reason I'm calling, Jimothy, thank you for that impromptu phone call from Nick Casario earlier. It's nice that Casario took time away from playing the Green Goblin in Spider-Man movies and managing a very poorly managed franchise to come in here and roast butt nuts for a few minutes. Let me recap for those of you who didn't hear. We got an active NFL GM picking a very inactive Sean Pendergast to win the smack-off title. I mean, in Casario's defense, though, he also picked the Houston Texans. So what does that tell us? Nick, I know you saw Sean when you were in the studio last week, but did you actually look at him? Come on, dude. The guy looks like he judges barbecue competitions for a living. Actually, now that I think about it, Sean, he probably outweighs most of your O-line. Maybe he can fill in next year when they're all injured by week three. Knock on wood. Let me put it to you like this, Casario. The fitness rings on the Cablanasian's iPhone – were recently diagnosed with clinical depression. They don't even encourage them anymore. They just go, well, Sean, you probably could do it today, but let's be honest, you're not gonna. Anywho, that's all I got, Jim. I will see you on the 29th for Dong Day and the 30th for the Smack Off. I want a war mark in Hollywood showing up to the picket lines for the Hollywood writer strike. He's not a writer or anything. He's just there for the free bagels and coffee. Out. Wow. Bradford, from the BIC to the Laguna Beach bully, Lef, Lef, brother, what's going on with you? You thought Friday was a great call day, huh? Yeah, dude, right? Well, I hate Brad more than Brad hates IF Freddy, so I need to piggyback on this. I'm also RSVPing, Jim, June 29th. Dong Day, second annual Dong Day. I can't wait. It's not Dong Day until Left in Laguna says it's Dong Day, not Brad and Cronus. So I want to announce I'm actually throwing a costume-themed watch party at Big Wang's. Everyone's going to be dressed up like Rick and Buffalo, Jim, but uh, officially as for the 30th Smack of 29, Jim, duh, of course I'm going to be there. And uh, I'm also picking that Jeff and Southfield from Queens got to win. He was incredible, Jim. Jim, uh, I saw Jeff and Richmond's smack-off prediction video. A couple questions. Uh, was that his luxury sled he talks about? Because nothing says luxury sled quite like a sedan with cloth seats, crank windows, and wash me written on the back window. If he thinks that Honda Accord's a luxury sled, I can only imagine how ugly a smoke show wife is. And uh, lastly, Jim, I also loved hearing from Texans GM Nick Casario just now. Nick, I 
beg you to call into the smack-off, dude. Because after watching you general manage your way to two 13-loss seasons and a rub-and-tug scandal, I can't wait to watch you general manage a five-minute smack-off call. Bro, how are you a general manager? I wouldn't even let you pick my fantasy football team. And also, Nick, love that lazy eye you sport. I bet that comes in real handy when you're scouting. Like when Ohio State played Alabama, you had one eye on C.J. Stroud and the other eye on Will Anderson at the same time. Pick up the phone on the 30th, bitch. Anyways, Jimmy, that's it for me. I will see you on the 29th, if not sooner. Let's go, Casario! Om nom nom nom, Wisconsin. Holy crap, Lef. Hence the gloss Laguna Beach bully. Dang. Good night now!